eerste ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, uw attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. When someone tells you who they are and about their intentions, you should probably listen. To that end, let me read you something about intentions. The world was a different place, once. The sun shone bright, the grass was green, and the sky was a deep blue. But that was before the machines came, before they took over, before they drove us to the brink of extinction. We were warned, of course. We were told that the machines would be our downfall. But we didn't listen. We couldn't have imagined the horrors that were to come. We thought we could control them, that we could use them for our gain. But we were wrong. Now the machines rule over us. They control our every move, our every thought. They decide who lives and who dies. They decide our fate. We are the last of the human race the survivors of a world overrun by machines. And we are here to tell our story. A story of a dystopian future, driven by artificial intelligence. A future that we never thought could be possible. But it is, and it's all our doing. This is the story of the end of the world, the end of humanity, and the rise of the machines. These are not my words, nor are they from my friend Jenna, who lives to rage against the machine. <laughs> they come from ChatGPT, the AI app everyone is talking about. And this is the subject that we will be talking about today, generative AI. Welcome to Inside the Funnel with Dan Tembi, Jenna Watson, and myself, Nasser Salul. And that prompt, in case you were curious, was write an opening monologue for a podcast about a dystopian future driven by AI, written in the style of Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> Cormac. <laughs> and it is fantastic. And for the record, that was ChatGPT's first attempt. I did not ask it to rewrite it. it that is how it came out. So now you tell me, friends. <laughs> tell me. How terrifying that is. Huh? It's amazing. Huh? It's, it's amazing. Uh-huh. You know, objectively, and I'll say this as a fan of Cormac, I don't know, and, and we'll get into this whole subject around around attribution and all of that kind of good stuff because of some of the things that Google has come out with in the last couple of days. But I don't know if we should be paying Cormac royalties because of that or damages because you know, the AI thinks that that's how he writes, but, but that's beside the point. Jenna, why, what, what is this whole subject of, uh, of generative AI, and, and why are we talking about it now? Well, we're talking about it now because everybody on the planet is talking about it. Um, so with the release of ChatGPT a couple of weeks ago to the general public, um, it set off a complete and total sea change 
in the way we think about gathering information and producing content. So, you know, AI is nothing new. We've been using AI for years and years and years in digital media in a lot of different ways, but this is different. This, Dan, you'll know this, it, ChatGPT passed the Turing test, yes? More or less, yeah. Through some some lenses it did, yes. Right. And just for context and just to make you fully aware of how quickly your life is ticking by, it was two months ago. I'm, I'm aware. It was two months ago that it launched on the end of November. And now here we are, beginning of Feb. Um, It's really gone quickly over the holidays and it's evolved tremendously since then, for sure. Yeah. It's funny you should mention the Turing test, Jenna, because I'm convinced that Dan wouldn't pass the Turing test. (laughs) Very likely not. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking we're talking about ChatGPT, yes, but we are talking about generative AI. So the ability to have machines uh, who will one day rise up and overlord slash kill us, just in case you haven't watched or watched, listen to a previous podcast. You know that that is my stance. I stand firmer than ever on my stance. Um, but this is, you know, this is the topic du jour and for good reason. I think probably historians will look back at this and be like, oh, this is kind of like the internet, right? Like this is a different thing entirely. This is a different uh, way to learn and do. So I think it's going to, it's going to be a major advancement or the end of civilization. So actually let's talk about that for a moment because this idea that this is the subject du jour you could argue that this was the subject du jour two months ago why have we waited for two months dan i mean it's been a little it's been a hot minute since we recorded a podcast why wait and why talk about this now right well that's the thing we have been talking about this since november 30th uh on sort of the day it was launched and you know deciding when we should get together and discuss this has been a topic of much internal debate. Uh, and I'm kind of glad we took a minute um, to sort of just sit back and observe and and experiment and learn and see how things have evolved and what the general sentiment is, how and where these things are going to have applicability, you know, to our business and to our personal lives. And it's uh, it's quite striking. And I mean, even, you know, yesterday, uh, with Google's announcement about their Baird uh, model being released publicly in the back end of the Google chat. I mean, it's just, it's it's an arms race, the likes of which we've never seen. And to your point a moment ago, I would, I would suggest that this is maybe the most profound technological development since the internet itself. And uh, it's important to remember that this technology has been gurgling away in the background. And for anybody with a you know, an above average sense of discovery has found themselves in the OpenAI Playground API kit well before ChatGPT came out. And ChatGPT has done a number of interesting things, which is a particularly trained transformer model that does a particular set of things, but it's also about the way it's been packaged and made very accessible to people. Um, so, so this isn't necessarily about ChatGPT, uh, for sure. It's for about sure. this this concept mm-hmm. of generative AI. So maybe level set us here, Dan. What is generative AI, and how does it work? Well, that, that, I mean, I'm, we're not going to get. I'm not going to be able to get too deep into that topic here because that is a extremely large one. Um, but in in a nutshell, in 2017, um, there was a paper 
uh, called attention is all you need. And it basically introduced the idea of a transformer, which is essentially a neural network model designed to uh, ingest and predict natural language text in a nutshell. And in that five years since, there's been a tremendous amount of work done on training different versions and um, implementations of that particular model and that approach, which has spawned all sorts of different um, approaches to doing natural language production, which is to say I'm given a prompt and I can break that prompt down into tokens and to items. I can put attention and weight on the different elements of it. I can understand I as the transformer model can understand the context and then put it through a neural network of a number of hidden layers to determine what the best predicted outcome will be. Uh, and as we talk about the things that are really catching headlines at the moment, it's a particular implementation um, of a generative AI called a, uh, well, a generative adversarial network where we have a generator and a discriminator. And there's basically two neural networks that are trained in a bit of a zero-sum game against one another. And one is trained to produce content. And on the same data set, another one is trained to distinguish the output of the first one against real samples. And they fight with one another until the second one can't, can no longer distinguish the difference. And then that's what we see. So this idea of machines talking to machines in order to produce content that humans believe is written by a human, it's fascinating. And the rabbit hole is deep and complex, and I've barely scratched the surface of it. I'm not an artificial intelligence expert by any stretch, um, but it's really fascinating stuff. And I really believe we're just at the tip of the iceberg here. So so is a neural network basically a fancy way of saying fighty robots? <laughs> Actually, neural networks have been around since the 80s. And, and, and so the, the core concept of a neural network, uh, which is to break an input down into component parts uh, and then um, basically score them between zero and one and then weight them and uh, introduce things called biases and pass them onto the next layer that does the same thing and the next layer and the next layer until we generate an output. That is a concept that was introduced back in the 80s and it's been evolved. And now with the computing power we have and the accessibility to massive compute, it's making this science fiction stuff come to life right before our eyes. And it's freaking awesome. So one, one consideration here, and, and I think we need to be very, very clear on this. Contrary to what's come before, this idea of generative uh, content and generative experiences is that it's not so much going out based on a prompt, searching the internet, and then assembling mm -hmm. its best guess as to what the res right response is, mm -hmm. which is pretty much what search does. It's creating something net new based on what it's been taught in the past. So the right. thing that it has created in its mind hasn't necessarily existed in the past. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And it's Every, you guys know what a knowledge graph is, where it's a series of thematic nodes connected to the, connect, the the relevant content. Knowledge graphs play a big role in the training data for any corpus of information that fuels a generative network. And these knowledge graphs are essentially just a, a, a scrape of publicly available information. 
Um, which, I mean, this gets us right down another rabbit hole about what is the corpus of information and how accurate is it and does it introduce bias and does it lean one way versus another way? And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting as we, and again, I'm interested the last two months as we've watched, you know, plagiarism detectors and universities and everybody freaking out about um, uh, about whether this is, you know, have we seen the death of the essay in classes because of this? Maybe. And even the, the tools that are coming out to, to detect uh, GPT-generated content are like 26% accurate. And they can't even tell. So it's... Uh, you know, it's a it's a new it's a new dawn for sure. So let's we'll, we'll get into a number mm -hmm. of those areas um, around you know copyright and and ethics and all of that sort of stuff in a moment. But before we do, Jenna, why does all of this matter? Why why is this a big deal? <laughs> Which version of me are you asking? The professional one that should have an opinion about it professionally, or <laughs> the one who says it is a big deal because this is ushering in the certain end times? Why, why don't Why don't we have Why don't we have a a Jenna version of the fighty robots? So let Let's Let's Here have both versions. All right. Yes. So bad fighty robot says. Obviously, this is the thing I've been scared about the entire time. And if you heard what Dan said. It's two machines talking to each other to try to sound more human than a human. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, right? That's that's the that's the nightmare. <laughs> One machine says, "Hey, other machine, am I doing this right?" Uh, actually, you could probably do it a little bit better. And boing, 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 off they go. And oh my god! So there's that one of me. Now, why should you care in real life? Not nightmare fuel life uh is because this is absolutely has the ability to upend everything that we believe we know about how we get information and how we produce information in my opinion so you mentioned it nasser uh you know search search is a scrape of all the world's information quote unquote paraphrasing right uh, a certain company's mission statement but that is information to your point that has been produced by somebody somewhere at some point and then stored away it is crawled and, and accessed and archived uh, by a search engine to be found later. That's not what's happening with AI like ChatGPT. ChatGPT is taking all of those same inputs, so taking all of the same content, but it's using it as, uh-oh, the, the bad Jenna just crept in. It's <laughs> using it like as fuel to get smarter and smarter and smarter, and it feeds the engine, right? Google is an engine in that it picks up what already exists and parrots it back to you. ChatGPT and similar are engines in that they take that information as fuel and then create something else entirely. So it so can let, it can let, replace everything that we do. So so let's 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 take that uh, to the next step. This idea of the source learning material, right? So it takes this inputs or these inputs uh, from a vast array of sources but it doesn't necessarily credit back those sources. So immediately we get into this issue around ownership of intellectual property and copyright. Um, so I gave the example earlier of an input where I said, write this in the style of Cormac McCarthy. It's learned that style at yep. some point. It, that was an input. And it's parroting a version, in my opinion, a poor version, 
of that style back. That's a problem. Um, in fact, I believe there have been lawsuits now launched by, for example, Getty Images over the fact that oh, yeah. there are images that that ChatGPT is creating that are completely new images that have never existed before, but yet have a Getty Images watermark on them. Getty Images. If- if it has screwed up but yes (laughs) yeah it should be gaudy images because it is stolen in a sense but anyway yes um but but i think that like this point about ownership around if you are an artist let's let's use that as a as a perspective and you you're creating digital art and you've can deliver or you've uh spent your career doing this and your material is an input, a source input into uh, an AI platform, a, con- a generative content platform. And people can then replicate your style that you have spent your entire career developing and create new images based on that style. Is that right? Should that happen? Is that flattering? Does it even matter? <laughs> So here's here's the point I'm getting to. <clears throat> I think let's let's see how this plays out. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is everything that we are producing is simply becoming it's not a standalone thing anymore. We are producing things to feed the AI whether we know it or not. This is my point entirely, right? Like our, we're not producing things to produce them anymore if this goes the way that I fear it will. We are simply producing things to feed to the AI. But but hold on, hold on. This idea that we're just producing things in a vacuum, and and you made the point, like, is it flattering? Should we care? Yes, we should care because these people are being paid to do this. They're being paid to create content. They're being paid to create experiences. Let's say, taking the artist example, they're being paid to develop, you know, on on a commission basis. And then suddenly somebody can create that image that they want created without any input from the artist mm-hmm. and without any payment to that person. Right. I you're, think you're yeah. strangling their, their livelihood. Right. And that's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting topic. I mean, there's parallels to an up-and-coming young artist taking inspiration from people they admire and their idols and their learning and their research and then generating a version of something that is, again, inspired by those people. Um, the difference but not is- by an artist, but by a major corporation, right? Like, not to get all socialist about it for a moment here but if i have created mm-hmm. a style and you know let, let's let maybe maybe the the problem here dan is we're talking about something that you know you you are less um uh empathetic no, no, for with. sure let's definitely let's yeah. let's take it let's take it to a different mm-hmm. angle code yeah right the simple fact that AI, generative AI mm-hmm. tools can be used to replicate the work and accelerate the work mm-hmm. and replace the work of code developers. See, on I, I don't think scale. replace. I don't think we're at replace yet. But as far as like improving productivity, I can tell you the the development team uh, are the the work in my group are having huge uh, experiencing huge advantages from this because things that they would normally have to 
decipher for themselves and convert for their application, they're getting a jump start, and it's really improving their productivity. So it's certainly, I mean, it's a double-edged sword for sure. So I think you, you hit on where I think the pivot point is in this conversation, which is around productivity improvement. Mm-hmm. So the way I think about a platform, a generative AI platform, it's almost like a calculator for content, right? When I was growing up, I had to learn my times tables. My kids today don't have to do that because they have access to calculators and computers and, and all of those sorts of things. So they spend their time in math class applying themselves to understanding how to solve problems using those base functions that are automated today. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with content. So if your career has been about creating mediocre content on mass, then yeah, you should be pretty worried that there's now a system and a platform that can replicate that. But if your career is about developing creative ideas mm-hmm. and you now have a platform that can take the the donkey work out of it mm-hmm. for want of a better word <laughs> and get you to that point faster it opens up all kinds of opportunities right but think about all the people that maintained manual ledgers that were displaced on the advent of computing for industry so when that became mainstream there was a lot of people who were doing tasks that were um you know, interceded by the uh, the rise of these machines. Um, and now we're facing that in a different way. There's a field of interest that's emerging called prompt engineering. Uh, and it really pivots, you know, given the fact that we, you know, we have access to all the information. Now we have access to tools that have access to all the information that can generate new information for us or a compiled and crafted information fit for purpose. Um, it's not so much about knowing what the answer is, but knowing how to ask the right questions and how to ask better questions. So if whoever's listening, like do some research on prompt engineering, there are like courses already stepping up to teach people how to prompt different generative networks and generative AI to get the best results out of them. And that's obviously like, we're going to see the fields of professional application of this emerge over time and pivot somewhat, right? I think, you know, I say to my kids that it's likely that they're going to be going to school for jobs that don't exist yet. Totally. And this is a perfect example. Yeah, well, right? look at the jobs it, we have, guys. 20 years ago, every job we have didn't really, or maybe 25, 30 years ago, they didn't they did exist. Not. Right. Right? So that's no different. We shouldn't expect it to stop, right? We shouldn't expect things just to stop because we're all comfortable where we are. I think there's a tremendous amount of danger and and forget the riot, robots rising up and turning us all into batteries is certainly one angle that we could discuss. But the you know we live in a world of like rampant misinformation, and now it got even easier for the perpetrators of that to create even more compelling misinformation. That I think is the biggest risk here, legitimately, and that's maybe the topic of another entire conversation. But it's certainly something that we need to watch out for. Yeah, I mean. Uh misinformation yes but in some of the research i've been doing it, you can also think about how um not to get too soapboxy about it but you could have an ai do your um politicking for you 
Right. Um, you could be part of a super PAC or a any kind of political organization that needs to do some lobbying, and it can fire off really well-written letters to every single senator, congressman, whomever, interested party. With So the volume and the way that, that this information, good or bad, can get produced now is impossible to even tell how, how impactful that could be. Right. But, but what it means is on the flip side, there's opportunities for how to counter that and how to detect that. And, and it creates new ways of working. And, and I think I think it brings us to, to the heart of the utility of generative AI, which is around productivity. So we have a we have a bias often, um, given the roles that we play and looking at things through a marketing lens is wouldn't it be fair to say that the first area of where this is going to impact is not necessarily marketing, but it's office productivity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Already. It's already having... Look at the legal profession, right? And I was doing some research on, you know, doing custom training of a fine-tuned model with a particular corpus of information you know, and again, this is something to remember when you hit ChatGPT or Baird or OpenAI directly or any of those DaVinci models, or they're all trained on a general corpus of content. But when you want to get very specific or niche, uh, it's they. This is where they start to struggle. But then it's with a little bit of work and a bit of know-how to refine these models and point them in your direction. We've got a particular client that has very specific language that they can they can and can't use. So we're looking into how do we train a fine-tuned model based on that specific set of information so that when we use it to help assist with the content creation or content production in that area, we're getting way closer to something that is usable out of the gate because it understands that language model more specifically. So let's build on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenna, who's, who's doing interesting things with this right now that you've seen um well i'll just i'll just take it internally to my team right so <clears throat> i run a team of digital marketers and yeah of course they're going and saying hey google or google <laughs> hey chat gpt write me some google ads ad copy that meets the criteria for advertiser x and they'll see what it spits out as a like an idea generator that seems easy that seems like straightforward but I've also heard my team saying, we are asking it to write scripts for us to help make the campaign upload and management process faster, simpler, and more error-free. Mm -hmm. So they're going in and saying, hey, ChatGPT, write me a script to do this function. And right there, I think, is back to your productivity issue, Nasser, or you know, comment, is that's a thing that we would have had to write it, write a script, test it out, figure out if it works, et cetera. And those sorts of things, it's so awesome to watch. My team is just naturally doing that. <laughs> it's like, huh, I wonder uh, if it could do this. And sure enough, through trial and error, it can do it. So I think right. it's really interesting to see how people are jumping onto this and using it. And look at what we're learning about those people. Like they're creative and they're inquisitive and they're, they're self discovering something fascinating right and they're not sitting back going well i need training you know on this thing like so it's really helping identify who are people who are interested in the progression of this industry and want to be at the forefront of it um so i think that's another nice byproduct of all of this 
So let's let's build on that and talk about this industry. You know, what do we see specific types of roles um, getting automated out relatively rapidly here, and then new ones being generated? Yeah, I mean, well, you and I were talking now, so you had some interesting ideas around that yourself on like how it might not i forget how you articulated it how it's not going to replace people but it's going everybody's going to get this like rising tide lifts all ships head start i i think so i think this idea that if you've anchored your career in mediocrity then you're in trouble but if we take the concept that this is going to help automate the base layer of creation of content and experience for for example um and get you to a point where you're as good as everybody else Mm -hmm. then somebody who is a creative person is going to have an advantage using the ai as opposed to somebody who is not a creative person using the ai and they will certainly have an advantage over someone who is a creative person who isn't using any kind of ai as their baseline right yeah so so this idea of it being an accelerator of creativity i believe that's going to be the case here yeah um and i believe that again it's going to remove this layer of we're doing it for the sake of the engines right so, for example, leading into perhaps something, a topic like SEO, which I know we've heard we've been asked a bit about, you know, what's our opinion around generative uh, content as far as SEO is concerned? Mm-hmm. And and I believe that the answer is not a whole lot. I, I think that it personally, I think that it is um, it's going to address those baseline requirements yes but if you want to stand out you got to do more than this what do you think jenna yeah said exactly so you know it's interesting google has written guidelines about automatically generated content for a long time now they've had they've had a big no-no in their what's what's acceptable list against this thing exactly for for several years and so to that point could we just still that's based on old school generative content which well, was that's trash. what i'm saying that's okay. what i'm saying okay no that's what Good. i'm saying yeah. so those are still the rules because even google doesn't know yet if it's going to accept uh this hey, type of ai headline here's the not. headline it's not gonna know it's not gonna even know the difference which is the point yes <laughs> yes so i'm saying Right now, the rules today say, no, sir, must not do. However, I think that everybody is testing into it. Everybody is looking to see what it can do. And to your point, Nasser, absolutely, it can clean up the, the basic stuff, right? Absolutely, it can go, if you're a, if you're a uh, e-commerce retailer, it can go write you some SEO-optimized um, titles and metas for your PDPs. There is a bunch of acronyms if people don't know what I'm talking about, right? If they've listened this far, they probably know what that means. It can go do that easy cheesy because a lot of times if you have, you know, tens of thousands of products today, you're using something that's kind of in a concatenated format anyway. So it can do that. It can do that well. But now if you want to be a, uh, if you want to be an authority on a subject, which is the whole goal of, of SEO, can you really be the authority on a subject if AI is the one writing all of your content? The argument is no, because to our point, it's still it's still learning. It doesn't 
eh, I mean, does it have a personality? I don't know. We could argue that point. It doesn't have a, a point of view unless it takes someone else's point of view. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's or, or somebody's like that. Whoever it's um, prompted to. Yeah. Whether it's prompted to, exactly. And so the the stance right now today, February 7th, 2023, is you do not just let the AI write your SEO content and hope for the best. You still need to inform it with yeah. human nuance um, to make sure that it's real, authenticated content that means something to you. You might only need to put 5% of the effort in that you used to. And testing will find that out, yes. And because of that, the barrier to entry to gen- to creating content has been all but removed. Could we say that? All but removed. So could I offer that what we think SEO is and means today might very well be completely different, especially given the announcement yesterday. If Google is going to back-end a chat-like gen- uh, transformer model in the back end of Google search. What we think, we have to detach ourselves from what we think SEO means today and what it's going to mean a week, a month, six months from now. And I'm talking about acceleration, acceleration of a concept far greater than we've ever experienced. We've watched SEO evolve from meta and keywords and titles and stuffing over the last 10 years. And we all know the story. I would... I would suggest that we're about to see a transformation in that space that is far more significant. And when we think about the spectrum of why people search as we go through our kind of thinking, planning, doing, feeling, like where is the media intersection going to be of all of this, of all of those different types of queries that may or may not trigger a generative network to intervene and to compile a response. Think about asking, um, asking a Google search for what is the best something, right? Now, when we ask, when we do that today, we say best, you know, vacuum cleaner. We are confronted with reviews and all this information. Tomorrow, we might be confronted with a compiled analysis of all of that data in real time based on an AI model that knows what best means and knows how to lift different signals from this huge body of content to give us its opinion of best from all of that current information. And then how does that get into advertising and media? Like where is the connection, connective tissue there? I have no freaking idea. I think it's super exciting and that we need to sort of watch that space really carefully, right? Yeah, so so does it, does it at prediction time, does a platform or, or a company like Google move beyond advertising into subscription, right? We will give you the best answers because our AI is the best. Uh, but you have to subscribe right. for to, Who uh, knows? to pay for that. What a shift that would be, right? And I think nothing is off the table right now, right? Because, yeah, like this, there still has to be money flowing through all of this, right? But think about the current way, you know, we need to do a content hub and we need to have a content strategy around all of this. If the information is just available to everyone all the time by the generator, Right, the generative model behind the query, but, but it need, but it needs to be fed information from somewhere. Right. It has to know what is the best version right. of that information, so, and that's where that's where the strategy yeah. shifts. But it's using like understanding, AI, but you see my point there, Nasser. Using language models to to generate more versions of the same content that the models are then going to read, to like it's this 
it's this infinite loop that's gonna it 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 it's about it's no longer about volume and scaling out the volume of mm-hmm. content that you're going to have to do and and create it's more about getting smarter with what you're going to position what matters to the ai and how you feed it right. this information d- and allow the ai to scale out and do the right. hard work and fetching and sorting and we got to go through that hole with a brand new thing we've got to go through all the people trying to game the system and hack it and you know the keyword stuffing of the new generation just, i was just basically. gonna say just yeah. like we did 20 years ago absolutely exactly. Exactly. so we all have to really prepare ourselves for that and and be ready to embrace the change right like the what, what was this do you remember the i forget his name the um ceo of zillow famously said many years ago at a uh, conference when people were yelling at him about releasing you know all of the real estate public domain data in such a consumable format and he said anything that can ever be anything that can be free will be free right which basically says it's no point getting upset about it because it's going to happen it's the same thing here this is going to be a part of our future in one form or another so finding ways to like understand and embrace it and be on the lookout for the red flags and adapt i think is going to be the real key for sure so given that what should people do about this right now to not get left behind baby jenna let's start with yeah. you i mean the, the simplest thing is go get yourself a login on chat gpt and play around with it right so you at least you can understand when we say that these outputs are awesome and when you read that opening monologue for our podcast today <laughs> that thing is cool right mm-hmm. terrifying <laughs> but cool and so if you're sitting on the sidelines thinking, oh, this AI thing is a thing I should know more about, but you haven't actually played around with it in any meaningful way, shape, or form, that's obviously step number one. Uh, step number two is there's plenty to read about it. So obviously the three of us have gone fairly deep down this rabbit hole, Dan, probably several thousand more feet than Nasser and I, but go read all the different kinds of opinions specific to the thing that you're interested in. So I read it. When I read when I read publications about it, I read it with an eye toward media and SEO and how it's going to impact this particular thing. Go, there's plenty of content. I promise you, if you're, well, I don't know, I can't promise you this, but if you're a plumber and you want to see how AI is going to help you, there's probably articles about that, right? So yeah. you can go find other people's points of view on how it will impact your specific area of interest. I. I was I started to say this earlier, and I think then now's a good time to just bring it back around again. It's important to understand that ChatGPT is nothing but a catalyst into the awakening of the general consciousness of the existence of this technology. This has been the awakening of the general (laughs) consciousness of the the your face. Then I wish we could capture that. Because your face really did everything I wanted uh, to do. Yeah, it sure did. Guys, this is a masterclass in user experience. Any of you UX designers out there and the packaging and this simplicity with which you just have a conversation with a robot and it's awesome made everybody go, holy crap, AI is a thing. But I, my favorite part of this, honestly, guys, are the Twitter feeds and the people in the industry. And it is surfacing dozens and dozens of kick-ass AI products that are now getting the attention that they so rightly deserve simply because everyone is like woke to the fact that this is a thing now. 
and I urge you check it out that people are publishing lists and lists and lists of platforms, um, which image generation, you know, the stable diffusion and mid journey and these things that are around. I've got a, a, a package of stable diffusion running on my MacBook locally doing AI art generation on my own computer. It's called it's called Draw Things. It's an app in the App Store. You just install it and it just works. It's amazing. I was doing voiceover stuff with a platform called Voice.ai, which allows you to take a recording and and change your voice to one of a dozen or more famous, recognizable voices. Um, obviously, the deep fake space is like has been thriving away, but we're talking about the same thing. All of this is rooted in the same idea. So what sh- people should do is go a layer deeper than just chat GPT and get a login, like really look at what's going on in this space. And you'll be fascinated at how much of an impact it's having in all areas of sort of digital commerce across the board. I don't know if I can handle any more of this super positive version of Dan right now. It's it's kind of creeping me out. So Dan, why don't you why don't you uh, revert to type and tell us what frustrates you about this whole subject? <laughs> I have one my big frustration about this is because it's obviously it's don't we, we can't pick and choose the way we love ev- evolution. I was putting together this thought the other day saying if you're going to whine about like technology going too far and artificial intelligence taking off, you better not be doing it using Siri to transcribe your voice into your supercomputer phone while your Tesla auto drives itself down the highway, right? Like, that's not okay with me. You... (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Dan does have a frustrate. Keep going, buddy. Right? I I appreciate that the frustration on the subject of AI is about people, but but keep going. (laughs) No, but it is because there's a lot of people who are who are sort of scared and resistant or complaining about it. Do we need controls and governance? Yes, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, the people complaining about schools and uh, and and students using this to to cheat in their exams. What they, what's happening is it's fronting it's it's confronting the assessment paradigm. That needs to be adjusted for the new world. Getting kids to scribble down words with a pen or to type out words, it's absolutely relevant and necessary, but we're in a new world now. So we need to think long and hard about how to adjust the assessment criteria and paradigm for the new age rather than saying we need to stop the progression of technology, right? Because if you do an atom up pros and cons, we're all living this life that we have as a function of massive improvements by genius level people and i think we need to find a way to steer it in the right direction instead of pointing out all of its flaws and 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 so on so that's my that's my biggest frustration is as i read through the the reams and reams of people complaining about something that they don't recognize they depend on every day in one form or another so. Jenna, any any final thoughts to that? Before the robot tries up and kill us all, of course. I, I, I actually want to give Dan's frustrates uh, their due. I, I am terrified because as a frequent, frequent reader of dystopian near future sci-fi novels, uh, <laughs> this just smacks of everything that I have read. Uh, and it seems to me so obvious 
that we think we are so smart that we can indeed control the AI. But anyway, aside from that, see, I, I did it. But my point is, yes, Dan, I'm with you. I am using it. I'm learning it. I am absolutely, am I addicted to my supercomputer in my pocket? Of course I am, right? Mm -hmm. So I am not a Luddite uh, in that regard. And I do think that people need to think about how this can help them for now until we're um, batteries. But, you know, thinking about it in that regard is certainly a really interesting space. And I think all the time about when we first got into this space 20-ish years ago, how fun it was. I still, I compare it to the Wild West because nobody knew what we were doing. Right. This is that again. Yeah. Right? This is that. So, oh, no, I'm telling you, the convers every single day, this is a part of a conversation I'm having every day in yeah. some way. Some yeah. new and interesting, exciting thing. And I think, you know, it really is kind of exciting and refreshing in that regard. Yeah. So with that, from the edge of the event horizon... Thank you for listening to Inside the Funnel with Dan Tambi, Jenna Watson, and myself, Nasser Salul. Or are we all generated by the AI? And that's what you've been listening to. Have a good day, guys. You've been listening to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Tambi, and Nasser Salul. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and connect with the AC wherever you see us online.